Hi everybody, this is Marlene with Miami Ghost Chronicles Stories of the Supernatural. And I hope you enjoy this new show, whether you're viewing it on the internet or listening to a podcast version of the episode. I do want to thank you for being part of my audience. You can also find links to videos or podcasts on MiamiGhostChronicles.com as well as where you can submit your story about any eerie experiences you've had, which I would love to hear about. Just go to the Submit Your Story tab. Please subscribe to our channel so that you receive notification of when we release a new show. And find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. This is where I usually live stream and where I give you a behind-the-scenes look at locations where new episodes are being filmed at, I also tell you about all the interesting guests that will be appearing soon on Stories of the Supernatural. I hope you enjoy the show, and I think you are all wonderful. Hi guys. Okay, now you are seeing me driving around my car and I apologize for my back, bad camera work. Uh, I was trying to drive and film and at the same time trying to figure out how to get to the grounds of the cemetery that belonged to the original Dozier School because across the street as you can see there's a walkover. I believe there still is some type of facility there for young men. But as you could tell, what I'm really looking for is the original Boot Hill Cemetery or the original cemetery that belonged to the facility that was started back in the 1920s. You can see it there, uh, the chimney stack and everything, which is all empty, by the way. That whole, all, all those facilities are empty, which is what this story is going to be about. So in a second, you're going to see me try to get into this side which I'm thinking okay the original cemetery for the Dozier school what they call Boot Hill is going to be on this side and you're going to be you're going to hear me get told no it's across the street and I'm thinking I was already there and that's a mo more modern facility and it's very secured which I doubt I can get into and again I might be wrong but it stands to reason that this, which is where the original older buildings were for the industrial school for boys, it went through various incarnations of names. This is where the original cemetery was. This is what this story is all about, which is a real eye-opener and which only came to light so many years after it occurred. So here you're going to hear me try to get in there. Hi. Let me ask you something. Is the Boot Hill Cemetery on these grounds? I'm sorry. My little girl. Is the Boot Hill Cemetery, is it on these grounds? On the other side, what, behind those buildings? Thank you so much. Hi, everybody. Okay, uh, you just saw me there 
trying to gain entry into, or in other words, trying to locate where the Boot Hill, which is not the actual, this was a made-up name, but the cemetery that belonged to the Dozier School. And later on, I found out that in reality, uh, there were two cemeteries. One is back then, you know, because as, as I was going to tell you about this story about this, this uh, reformatory school from hell was that they had two cemeteries because they segregated the burials of the students by their race. So, uh, in reality, there was there is one across the street from the other, which it wouldn't have made a difference because you could tell I couldn't get in there. Um, which I would have loved to go in there just to, because I have uh, done some research in the background as far as a lot of the um, a lot of the burials and especially some really early early boys that were there. Because I'm going to go now into the story about this reform school, and a lot of it came out in like maybe the last ten years. And, of course, some of the people that have come forward and talked about their experiences, uh, they were there, like, during the 50s and 60s. But there was a lot of things that happened there. Some of them probably not documented. Others, yes, but not as well because it was so long ago that I'll interject. But uh, let me go ahead and, and get started Okay, uh, about the background of this place, which, uh, how can I say, which is what I've seen. The intentions behind it were great, but the reality of it was horrible, horrible. And you're going to see that uh, a lot of there's there's many been many claims uh especially in recent years and you don't have to believe all of them you know, all if all you do is believe a little bit of them and some of this is based on eyewitness testimony uh in some cases a lot of the people that could say one way or the other have passed away but all you have to do is just believe a small fraction of the things that are told there and again maybe the intentions that the beginning for what this reform school was meant to be were very idealistic but the reality of what it was turned out to be anything but as a matter of fact it was a place where for lack of a better word uh, where people could masquerade be, sadists could masquerade uh, by saying that they were going to help and basically they just we're feeding their nature, I'm but you're you're going to see what I mean. It's it's a very interesting story, and I've had a lot of people ask me about it uh, because of its history, which goes way back, like over a hundred years. So, and and um, and it was for all intents and purposes, even though it wound down, uh, it was in all actuality only closed like uh, less than ten years ago. All right. So now the name, the first information that I got, because I was, um, you know, I always get people that ask me 
especially in Florida, if certain places are haunted and things like this, was they were asking me about this reform school up in northern Florida. And uh, one of the things that came to light was an investigation that they that was done about the cemetery. Now, the cemetery there was active from about 1914 to about 1952, but prior to 1917, death certificates were not required. So, in other words, there could have been burials there, and mm, that doesn't mean that a certificate was issued. And, uh, and, and in truth, they really don't know how many people were interred there. Uh, the state investigators believe that at least 81 are buried uh, here in, uh, you know, at, that, at the Boot Hill, at the Dozier School Cemetery, and the other cemetery, which is the one that I told you, which is across the street, about 500 yards to the north. Now, uh, again, what I told you is, at some point, there was question whether indeed there was one or two cemeteries, but based on the custom of the days, uh, when the cemeteries were active, burials were segregated so it makes sense that that in truth there were two separate cemeteries uh, now on the one where you're gonna see that a lot of the uh, investigations were started there was 31 metal crosses uh, that were next to very shallow indentations in the ground and in 1996 they, re they replaced some concrete and rebar uh, crosses from the 1960s that had been removed and stored near the site and prior to that they think that what they would use would be wooden crosses or just no markers at all uh, now state and school records show that out of nearly 100 children who died while at the school there are no burial records for 22 of them now, one thing I did want to point out, which is, uh, I would say, yes, a, a good majority of the children that died there were buried there, but in some cases, you did have some where they were buried elsewhere. However, some of them, uh, I would say, died under questionable circumstances, if you want to look at it that way. And just for instance, before I get to the story, of there was one little boy or one story that I found really interesting and this little boy his name was George Chansey now believe it or not George Chansey was six years old when he was put in this reformatory yes six years old he was born in 1917 and he died in 1923 the reason stated was malaria okay and like I said stories back then you know as far as documentation sketch here but uh, supposedly I think his father wasn't had gone to jail I don't know what happened with the mom and unfortunately back in those days young children like that you know you always think as reform schools as maybe adolescents or teenagers no, really, really young children could end up in a reform school, especially if there was some trouble with a family. The family couldn't take care of him, or in this case, who knows what happened. Bottom line, George ended up in this reform school when he was, what, five to six years old, 
and within a short period of time, he passed away in 1923 from malaria on the school records. Now, he was buried. He's buried in Avon Park. His body was taken out. The reason why I bring that up is there was a lot of investigation, as you're going to see, as to the actual cemetery on the grounds. And as far as correlating what was found there forensically to the records that the school had. However, there were other children that died and were not buried there. And by this, I don't mean, it, you know, children died, and especially, you know, back then when we're talking here, a school that opened in 1900, of course you're going to have children die. But somehow or other, and you'll see what I mean as I go into the story about this school, there's just certain things just that don't add up. Even if you take into account uh, death just by whether it was at times, poor health, sickness, whatever the case might be. But I did want to throw that in there because like you'll see there's a lot of emphasis on the boys that were buried there, but there were others that things happened to them and they just didn't end up being buried there. The The family came in and uh, they were buried elsewhere. They were sent elsewhere to be buried. But anyway, originally it was known as the Florida State Reform School. Okay, and that was from 1900 to 1913. It held that name. And then it went to become the Florida Industrial School for Boys. And that was from 1914 to 1957. And then the Florida School for Boys from 1957 to 1967. And then afterwards, the Arthur G. Dozier School for Boys. Now, as I said before, this... Um, the school opened January 1st, 1900 on 1,400 acres just south of Mariana, Florida. And the original intent was for it to be a school, not a prison. And uh, the children that were being sent there were looked at as wards or students, not as inmates. But, like I stated before, the concept kind of fell apart really early on. Because like a lot of state-run institutions, especially with all that land, uh, what they basically they were self-sustaining. And on this piece of land, they were doing extensive farming. Uh, I mean, when I say farming, I mean animal husbandry, farming, everything. They were self-sustaining. And now what happened was that farming on the school property proved very profitable. But... What happens is that once they realized what money could be made, there was not enough manpower or child power, if you want to call it that, to basically move it along. Uh, as a matter of fact, there was a superintendent who wrote in 1906, having so few inmates makes the crop come in slow. All right, you see where I'm going with that. Now, in 1903, when the school held boys and girls investigators found children as young as six years old six years old locked in irons just as common criminals now six years later in 1909 investigators found no desks in the schoolhouse in other words the superintendent had been falsifying the inventory and keeping kids also past the age of 18 presumably for labor two years after that in 1911 they found kids crowded, hungry, sick, and another 
a superintendent was beating them with a leather strap. So, in case you're the type of person that thinks that that the outrage or the supervision was something in modern times where people were maybe, you know, how that, you're thinking, you know, back then where they had that uh, spare the rod, spoil the child mentality. That was around then. This We're talking here turn of the century. And obviously this school very, very soon after opening, within years, very few years, was found to be, have become everything but what the original intention of it was. Uh, the children that were there were being used for forced labor, very young children. And again, like I said, prior to 1917, there was no uh, legal requirement to produce, produce a death certificate. And by this I mean, if you had a child or a younger person die, and especially if they did not have a family that was around or was even willing or brave enough to come and question what happened to my child, they could take this body, take it in the woods, because remember, we're talking here 1,400 acres. That's a lot of land. And on one of the slides, you're going to see there's an aerial view of what's there now, well, the burial site, but you can see it's woods and woods and woods. Okay. Yeah, you could say, well, maybe they buried the regular, but children maybe that died through you know malnutrition or they weren't taken care of properly dig a hole okay put the body in there doesn't even have to be that deep nobody's gonna go it's uh it's a 1400 by the way something that they don't mention not till 80 years after it was uh set up did they put up a fence there was no fences around this. So you're going to see that the penalties of escaping were really, really, really harsh. Unfortunately, yes. So let me keep going with this. So <clears throat> here we are, 1911, kids crowded, hungry, sick. And of course, they're being beat with a leather strap. And like I told you, for 80 years, the school was an open campus with no perimeter fencing or structure to discourage students from escaping. And I think that worked for and against. If you, I guess, were an older kid, like a teenager, and you decided that you wanted out, it was very easy, I guess, if you knew where you were going. But at the same time, I guess the attraction of having no fences tempted many to try to escape when they shouldn't have. Now, three years later, 1914, there's a big fire takes place at the school. Eight students and two employees who happened to be father and son burned to death, locked in the dormitory. All the fire escape doors have been locked. Now, about 100 students were able to escape by um, a skylight. Basically, they climbed down the side of the building. Now, a grand jury learned that the superintendent was in town on a pleasure bent when the fire started and he lost his job. But at the same time, you think about it. Ten lives were lost, eight of them students. And from what I understand, the two employees that died were trying to save the boys in there. 
And by the way, they, they were interred there in the cemetery on the grounds. Now, in 1915, the Tampa Times publishes an expose uh, quoting a former inmate who said that girls and boys were raped by guards and that boys were forced to labor in fields owned by private parties. Okay, and um, and that basically some of the kids were being diseased uh, whether because of they just weren't receiving the proper medical attention maybe where where they were living or sleeping was filthy now in 1918 with a population of about 220 at least eight boys died from influenza you remember this is the time of the Spanish flu and it went around the world uh, and even back then there were calls for the state to close the school now this one was I did not know about this until I started doing some more research now they started looking at some of the school records and it showed that between 1911 and 1973 uh, the deaths totaled about 98 now the Florida Department of Law Enforcement said it was 81 uh, that you think okay that's almost 20 20 deaths a discrepancy of 20 deaths it makes you wonder why is there that discrepancy now it was found that officials never reported some of the deaths to the state and uh, and that boys that weren't issued death certificates because they had no known cause of death uh, one of the stories that's attached to it is that about seven boys died while trying to escape that's what I meant about no offenses uh, former wards recounted stories about what they called the dog boys. Now the dog boys were adult inmates from nearby Appalachian Correctional Institution who would help the dozier guards capture runaways. They called it boy hunting. And um, and that uh, if they would catch um, the runaways, they basically, they would uh, beat them. The dog boys would beat them. Now the records also show that 20 boys died within three months of arriving that's a lot that is a lot even if you take into consideration boys that went there because they were already sick or they had some type of other health problem that's still a lot now one of those was uh, a little boy by the name of Thomas Varnado and he died just a month after he got to Mariana now the reason on his death certificate was pneumonia and I think they wanted to try to spin it that he was sick when he got there by but the family always said that he was a very healthy boy when he left home I'm not sure how Thomas ended up there but uh, like I said it didn't really take much for a kid to find himself there as as mind-boggling as that appears Yes, they could get there easier than you would think. A lot of people think that for somebody or a boy to end up in a reform school, he had to be a real terrible delinquent and uh, had basically not conformed to a lot of prior attempts to correct him. No, that was not the case. Uh, you could very easily find yourself for a minor infraction being taken to this reform school. Now, 
um, they, um, you know, it's, it's, it's the, it's the, like I said, as the years went by, um, they, like I said, they maintained, the, you know, like in all state institutions, the populations went up. Uh, part of the story also was not only where they being used there, but sometimes they would take these boys, especially imagine the older ones, and rent them out as labor uh, to farm in other places. And let's face it, uh, the care was not good. I'm sure that maybe even some people that were using them were thinking of them that if they were being basically held in what was the equivalent of a child prison, then that you weren't a, a good kid. So, uh, I mean, they, they were there. They got it from all sides. Now, um, the, like I said, the, the school kind of was rocked by, how can I say it? I don't want to say by controversy all along. Uh, and several times they were people that would, they would write up in newspapers or would do surprise visits and, you know, but it just, it finally, things, they, they would try to do things and then it would kind of die down. So, and they tried to, and I'm not going to say everybody because uh, there was a lot of people there that worked there that weren't that way. But in this case, all it takes is just a few, uh, unfortunately, in powers of authority that can make all the difference. And let's face it, in this, especially as the years went by, this type of job, if you work there, this 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 was a big employer in that area and by this what I'm going with this is that if you were one of these people that maybe felt sorry for these boys or didn't like what you saw or suspected if you said something chances are you might lose your job okay and this is a small town when I mean a small town it's a small town so who knows along the years since 1900 when it opened that there might have been people that saw or witnessed things that really did care but were afraid maybe to like I said not everything because it was it was a huge school but to speak out against certain individuals okay and you'll see later on what I mean because they were afraid not only am I gonna lose my job this person that I might say something about lives in my same town and this is where my family lives so believe me that's that's very plausible as to why I think that maybe along the years as the years went by there were certain people that saw things but just didn't say anything because of what they had they could lose what was at risk for them now what happened was uh, I want to say like about 10 years ago in 2008 uh, they they finally started the people uh, well, well, now they were men, but boys that back in the 50s and 60s had had a stint there. They finally started running these news stories about what they said that they had experienced, the abuse that they had experienced while they were there as teenagers and younger. And ev eventually it got some traction. And what happened was that 
eventually uh, there was an investigation and the way it started was uh, like I said back in 2008 was really when this thing started to get some traction and eventually the the state uh, they opened up an investigation on their own through the Florida Department of Law Enforcement but at the same time they were able to secure uh, where a forensic anthropologist came in to where the cemetery was because I said like I said there was first of all they had witnesses and people and sometimes second and third hand stories of people describing severe either beatings abuse and in some cases murder of some of these students and of course there in other words there was big discrepancies so they finally got uh, an anthropologist to go in there from USF and go through the area that was considered one of the cemeteries all right and uh, sure enough they found they, they started digging up and for example they, they found the remains of the victims of the fire of 1914 uh, they found boys buried uh, unceremoniously at varying depths the shallowest was about two feet deep now they found the remains of one boy uh, bunched up near the top of a casket with an arm over his head lying on his side not on his back like most which is I mean talk about just wanting to put a body in the ground and just cover it up no sentiment there were none whatsoever uh, at the end the 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 state had found they had 31 of the crosses but they uh, found 55 graves in other words by December of 2013 they had more bones than names so who were all these people that were buried there or in other words what was their story uh, now you're gonna see in one of the one of the most prominent things uh, was a building there known as the White House I want the slide to see it now this White House was the place that a boy would be taken to to be punished or whipped or abused because there's really no other word for it okay and in 2008 they did a ceremony to officially seal it they sealed the building and they recognize those boys who passed through the White House doors okay now in uh, 2009 there was a failed class action lawsuit brought by the victims who of course were now men to face the one person alive they accused of abuse okay the culprits were prior employees named Hatton Hagen Dozier Edenfield and then there was a gentleman by the name of Troy Tidwell okay and the boys would call him the one-armed man because he literally had one arm now all of these uh, culprits were dead with the exception of Tidwell and he, he they, they went to court on in a five-hour deposition he denied ever giving a boy more than what he called a dozen licks and now and the thing was he had uh, he had one arm because as a kid he had leaned on the muzzle of a shotgun and blown off his left arm so his remaining arm 
possessed like he was really strong in his remaining arm. And he was known to the boys as the strongest whipmaster of the White House. Uh, now, reports from, like I said, the men who were children then and some former employees who were still alive and were interviewed by the Florida Department of Law Enforcement remembered seeing children with black and blue welts and bruises along their buttocks or being unable to sit properly down. Uh, the, the actual men who brought them saying that they were whipped so badly that they bled and I mean other others witnessed what black and blue but regardless uh, now in May of 2011 okay this is when they finally closed the state of Florida told the school's 185 workers that the budget had to be cut and they eliminated um, it, it was run on a 14.3 million a year program okay so that left a lot of people out of work and the reason why I say this is there was a lot of townspeople in Mariana who were really upset when this got the notoriety that it got because they in other words they could see the writing on the wall they could see because a lot of them uh, depended on a place like this for their for their well you know this is how they lived this is their this is how they fed their families I don't think maybe a lot of them wouldn't agree with what happened there if it turned out to be true but at the same time this is where they had a job now a common theme amongst the former students was that they received spanking which many of them referred to as beatings um, and most of them were consistent in describing that once you were taken into that White House you were t told to lie face down on a cot and grasp the headrail with your hands and that if they released their grip the spankings would start all over from the beginning in other words regardless of how many whippings or whatever you were gonna get if you let go of that railing they would start again from one and some of the students stated that they squirmed or fought back then boys from the neighboring kitchen would be called in to assist in holding them down by their legs and arms uh, now, some students also claim that during the spanking, the strap would sometimes miss their buttocks and strike either their lower backs or their upper thighs. Uh, and at one point, some of them said that they believe that that leather strap had some type uh, of metal in it, either a thin strip of metal or a coin that is tipped to added weight. Now, the actual strip was never located. It was never found. However, a wooden paddle believed to have been used prior to the leather strap was located and retrieved from the widow of Oliver J. Keller, who was a former state director for the youth services. And in, there's a 1974 newspaper photograph, which was found at the school, which shows Mr. Keller holding a leather strap and a wooden paddle. Um, so, again, but again, they don't know, was this... There's not that much, there's not that many reports of the wooden paddle as in the strap, but it's not known if well, there was any truth to metal being put in the leather of the strap, but who cares? 
I mean, if you're talking that you're beating a child to the point that you're either drawing blood or they've got bruises for days, I think that's you don't need for you don't even have to worry about whether there was metal on the tip or not. Now, the that uh, the White House it has 11 rooms inside. And it was built in 1929, and basically it was used as a secure detention area to house the school's most violent or uncontrollable juveniles. Uh, again, this was because there was no security or perimeter fence. So this is where the, the, there was that one place where they were beaten, but they would have cells. Uh, then in 1967 was when they did their way with corporal punishment. And then after that, the building was used for like storage of maintenance items, you know, stuff like air conditioners, all that stuff. Eventually, the Florida Department of Law Enforcement did go in there and they tested all the walls, including some where they said that there was what looked like a smeared handprint. However, uh, there was no evidence found of any blood found anywhere in all of that building. Now, I'm not that knowledgeable of the, with the forensics or the blood I don't know if something that happened a hundred years ago but apparently nothing was found now other reports by other former students state that uh, in not only did they get corporal punishment they were also subjected to sexual abuse at the hands of former staff members or by other students uh, and again with the passage of over 50 years the findings were that there was no physical evidence to either support or refute the allegations of physical or sexual abuse. Now, the last thing that happened um, as far as the school is concerned is in uh, 2017, okay, the Florida House of Representatives, the Judicial Committee, voted unanimously this was in April 2017 to, first of all, to apologize to all the men who were sent to the Dozier School for Boys. Uh, and they also voted unanimously to preserve the buildings on the Mariana campus, known as the White House. Uh, and basically, section that area off as a state park. Now, What's really interesting is they also voted unanimously to form a team to hunt down former employees of those schools who were involved in the beatings and sexual molestation of the boys and that they were also going to erect monuments. Now, this is the thing. In truth, the majority, like I said, because this place um, had a lot of employees, but a good portion of them had nothing whatsoever to do with the uh, how can I say it with discipline so in other words what I mean by that is that the ones that would be held accountable for it the good majority of them are dead they're gone and I mean and what's what's really interesting was that uh, when all of this happened prior to the forensic investigation of the cemetery Okay, the state was rushing to sell the reform school, you know, with 
because the razor wire everything to the highest bidder and in August of 2012 it went up for auction and um, what was being auctioned was not only the the actual school the buildings but about 220 acres which is right off Interstate 10 which is a busy highway and the bidding started at $300,000 however everything came to a grinding halt when the anthropologist using that radar the penetrating radar data found that there were some anomalies and eventually like I said they found 50 graves instead of the 31 uh, and that of course that there was also sufficient evidence to believe that there was another cemetery uh, that there wasn't only one and like I said uh, I get a lot of people that have asked me well do you think that this place is haunted and I said you know what more than likely it is and I'm gonna say why without even having gone there I say number one I think it falls into the same category as a sane asylums adult prisons things of this nature where people are housed under circumstances which are deplorable and in this case children there's a couple of pictures there that if you look at them of these boys and it's almost heartbreaking to look at their face because they looked really really sad and let's face it uh, I mean let's be realistic some of these boys their family didn't take care of them that's why they ended up there so these children maybe had already felt some type of loss even prior to get going there from what I understand sometimes even orphans ended up there especially as they grew up and became troublesome maybe as teenagers this is where they would end up so in other words they they have maybe been abandoned even before that so all of this without being able to access it I'm sure that there's intelligent hauntings there again that's another thing you know everybody's looking at this area which by the way they they had to cut down some of the trees but when they started looking for where they thought there were more graves they had to basically knock down some trees because they found when that radar detection thing an area that was had been already overgrown and that's where they found additional graves and again you don't think that uh, and I'm gonna give you a for instance some kid tries to escape especially if he's a little bit older and he gets away at least far enough away that uh, maybe they catch up to him I don't know I don't know I guess it's swampy around there or whatever but let's say it's it's a bit you think that if they ended up killing one of these kids they're gonna drag his body all the way back no it would probably dig a hole and bury him right there or if there was a swamp heave hole him into the swamp okay remember originally this was on 1400 acres and who's to say who was gonna say like I said some of these kids that had little or no family okay uh, or sometimes the families lost track of them 
that other story that I said about George, his father was incarcerated. So all the things that you would normally think of as the, that the family would step forward and say, where's my son? Especially if, let's say you had a 15 or 16 year old and he was maybe not the best boy, you know, he was maybe already getting into trouble. And then you like, kind of lost track of him. And then you're thinking, okay, he's okay. He got, you know, whatever. You never knew what really happened to him. So if you think that scenario didn't play out, you know, I, I don't have any proof of it, but I don't think it's far-fetched. So going back to the original thing was, do I think that it's haunted? Possibly. And it's not even even in that specific area, even though uh, I, I, I saw pictures. And like I said, there, uh, I don't think that it was a totally, okay, horrible place. I think that some kids got along okay, and I, I think a lot of the people that worked there were okay. This was the, the job they did. I think what happened was that there was this little core of people in, in, in charge that how they handled the kids that maybe were just difficult to handle was they were brutal. Brutal. And then, of course, when you also hear the stories that even when it opened, they were looking at these kids they weren't there teaching them. They were using them as slave labor. They they realized there's money to be made, and it's free labor. Just and and from what I understand, that's that's also around. This is how it became more and more difficult, more and more easier. In other words, for kids to be sent over, especially if you were a little bit older, to over here because they needed the labor. So, you know, like I said, you would think you had to have done something really bad like that the judge washed his hands of you i'm sending you to the reform school there you go i've given you enough breaks no from what i understand it didn't take much for you to go over there especially in those early years because what they were looking at was you've just given us an excuse to take you over there because we need a young strapping lad or whatever and that's the thing a lot of also the kids that went in there sometimes they were not in good health they there was reports of kids that had asthma not being treated and dying. Um, like I said, I'm I, I'm not naive enough to think that there wouldn't be any children that died. Of course, there was children that died. Disease, illness, you know, some of them maybe didn't have the best health to begin with. But when you look at these stories, you realize that there were some maybe that were teetering on bad health and going there put them in the grave there were others that maybe didn't receive the adequate medical care and then the worst because that you could put down to negligence okay but then you go to what's called abuse which is where you're talking about beatings that resulted in deaths or in this case out out and out murder Okay, where you would dispose of maybe some kid that was either running away or got in your face or I mean who knows who knows but still I I definitely think that this place I, I would love to go to it once they do whatever it is that they're going to do with it um, but yeah that there's things going on there it's inevitable I think that if if anything, um, like that movie that there's lost boys there, yeah, there's lost boys there. I'm sure there's lost boys there that lost their way before and then after 
and just you know knew very little very little happiness and just found themselves at the wrong place at the wrong time so anyway guys I hope you like the show I don't think it's a doubt I think it's super interesting okay uh, and it shows you that um, sometimes despite the best intentions of wanting to help those in our society that need the most help we have to really be careful that the help doesn't turn into something like this so anyway subscribe to my channel hit the like button so that you get notified of when I put out new shows okay I'm asking my true believers to send me stories about any experiences and if you happen to be one of these people that live up in that area or you've ever had an experience over here by the school in around the grounds or anywhere or anything like that I would love to hear from you I would love to hear from you because more than likely somebody that lives up in that area of Mariana has either had experiences or knows of somebody that has or has lived there or has heard stories uh, I, I did hear a couple of things uh, of people having experiences but like I said I think that because of the nature of the location that it's fenced off and accessibility and that basically it's it's state-owned land uh, it's just not that easy to come by the experiences that I wish I could talk to somebody especially an employee that would be wonderful because those are the people that really get a load of that because they're there every day they are there every day so again if there's any true believers out there go to miamighostchronicles.com and hit the submit your story tab okay hope you catch the podcast version of this on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spreaker, Podcast, Podbean. I'm all over the place, guys. Again, I want to thank you so very, very much for being part of my audience. I think you are all wonderful. And wish me luck in being able to get into some other places. Like I said, luck was not with me. Uh, I think I underestimated this location when I went out there. But again, thank you again for being part of my audience. Take care.